Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Biohacking Beauty Podcast, where we delve into the depths of beauty, health, and the cutting-edge science that brings the best of both right to your ears. I'm your host, Amitai Eshel, and today I'm incredibly excited to introduce a guest who is not just a scientist, but a true pioneer in the realm of microbiology and its profound impact on health, the skin health and, and wellness. Joining us today is none other than my good friend, Kieran Krishnan. He is a research mi- microbiologist with an impressive 20-year journey in the dietary supplement and nutrition industry. Kieran is, isn't just your average researcher, though. His expertise stretches from the rigorous environment of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa to learning the charge in business development to sorry leading the charge in business development and product development at microbiome labs what truly sets kieran apart is his visionary approach in the fields of nutritional technology and his hands-on involvement in the development of over 50 nutritional products his work and insights on human microbiome don't just stop at academic discussions they are the driving force behind transformative products and clinical research currently as the the uh, or not currently he just finished his role as a chief, chief scientific officer at physicians exclusives llc and microbiome labs kieran's influence is shaping the way we think about health beyond his professional accolades Kieran's ability to translate complex science into practical health transforming wisdom has made him a sought after speaker on national platforms and health summits. Today, he's here to share his knowledge on something that's both incredibly relevant and fascinating, which is the skin's microbiome. We're also going to dive deep into one of, into one of Kieran's intriguing ventures, which is called SIV, a microbiome or a biome balancing skin serum. This product isn't just another skincare formula. It's rooted in the revolutionary use of bacillus spores, and we'll learn how this can be a game changer in our skincare routine, how we can obviously incorporate it with uh, your young goose skincare routine as well. And it's obviously an absolute honor and a pleasure to have Kieran here. His work and insights are not just enlightening, but they are, in my opinion, reshaping our approach to wellness and beauty. Before we jump into this captivating conversation with Kieran, let's take a moment to appreciate the support and feedback from our biohacking beauty community. Here's a review from one of our valued listeners. Today, actually, the review is from Stella M, who just called the podcast awesome. And sometimes that's all we need to hear. So thank you very much for your uh, kind word. Your support and engagement means the world to us here at Young Goose and the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. And, And for those who haven't yet, remember your rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast help more people find us and tap into this the, uh, these vital conversations with uh, for health and beauty. So um, even a single word, as we've just learned, counts. All right, let's get started and dive into the world of the skin microbiome and discover the secrets behind SIV Biome Balancing Serum with Kieran Krishnan.
All right, Kiran, welcome to the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. Emate, I'm so excited to be here. I feel more beautiful already. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just hacked a lot of my unbeautiness in the last couple of minutes. So no, I love it. <laughs> first of all, first of all, obviously, I mean, full disclosure, I think you're one of the coolest people in in the world. So this podcast is definitely a, definitely a podcast that I'm coming with prejudice to. <laughs> I feel the same, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, so thank you very much for being here. And obviously, I've been following you for a very long time. I keep reminding you that I've, I saw you speak on stage in 2017 yes. when Microbiome Labs, which back then, it's a company you founded, was just launching their full, like, you know, uh, routine of uh, gut restoration. And, and you blew my mind on stage for uh, as far as like leaky skin goes. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, it's it's a fascinating evolution because we've been able to kind of keep up with the science as it develops. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for people like you and I, we're very in tune with what's happening in, in the changes in science and we adapt our products and message and all that to the evolution of science. So it's exciting to be in this period, right? Because I mean, yeah. just think about all the research that's coming out and on skin, on gut, on the microbiome. It's uh, It's amazing. But it's a lot of work to keep tapping into it, as you know well. For sure. So you're a very well-renowned microbiologist, and, and I'm so fascinated how you kind of got to specialize in our microbiome. Like, wh how did you stumble upon that realization that, that this is what you want to kind of pursue? Pursue, yeah. So it, it, it actually kind of goes back to some of the idiosyncrasies I have in my personality, right? So to start, I was always a science nerd. I was always a, a kid that was almost in an unhealthy way, curious about the world around me, right? I couldn't use things or do things without knowing how they work. One, one great example of that is I grew up in India and Malaysia. I moved to the US when I was 14. And so when I first moved here, it's the first time I've seen a microwave, right? And, and it's a fascinating thing. And, you know, you put food in it, you push a button, 30 seconds, the food is piping hot, and the dish is not necessarily as hot as the food. And, um, I, and sometimes the opposite, unfortunately. Sometimes the opposite, depending <laughs> on the dish and the microwave, right? And the thing is, like, I had asked my friends, well, how does that work? And they were like, who cares? Just put it in there. I'll you, this is how you use it. But I was always the type that needed to know, you know? And so then I would be in the library kind of researching what microwave radiation does and so on, because of course we didn't have the internet at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I always had this curiosity and my dad was a microelectronics engineer. He's a big innovative thinker. He has well over 250 US patents in his name, wow. right? Almost any electronic device you have uh, that has memory, he's invented something in the memory chip, right? He was part of the people, the person that was responsible for taking memory that used to take up an entire room for a few megabytes down to gigabytes into in tiny, tiny chips. Wow. And so, you know, he's brilliant thinker that way, right? And my mom is a medical doctor. So she's in the biological science side of things. So I feel like I got a mix of both where I gravitated towards the biological science because math wasn't as exciting for me as chemistry and biochemistry was. But I also got a piece of his like need for innovation and drive and kind of cutting edge stuff. I decided to do microbiology uh, at college because I was trying to figure out what science I wanted to go into. I saw a movie called Outbreak way back in the day with Morgan Freeman and Dustin Hoffman, right? It was a little epidemic that broke out mm -hmm. in, a, in a town. And I saw them chasing this virus and trying to figure out the source and the cure. 
I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to chase infectious diseases and figure out uh, cures and so on. I'm glad I didn't go that route. For sure. um, right. That would have, last few years <laughs> would have been a, particularly a pain in the ass. And so I, I did go into the school of microbiology and I started studying. And what I realized uh, as I was going through the research and getting into the labs and doing all the research work and all that was that so much in the world of microbiology was focused on pathogens, mm-hmm. right? Viral pathogens, bacterial pathogens, and so on. But then you start to realize that pathogens are actually only a tiny, tiny percent of the total microbes that have been discovered. You know, in, in there was an article that I was um, interviewed for in U.S. News and World Report about the hygiene hypothesis. And for that article, I did a calculation on what percentage of, of organisms discovered are actually harmful or pathogenic, mm-hmm. right? And most people wouldn't guess, but it's at best 0.1%. Wow. Right? Which is crazy, right? Yeah. It surprised me when I was looking at the da- like at the information, putting it all together. Which means that ninety nine point nine percent of microbes are either benign or beneficial, and they get almost no, you know, time on stage under the limelight. It's all about the pathogens, and so it's that started to kind of give me a little bit of angst because I'm like, well, why do I need to keep looking at pathogens? What about the other ninety nine percent? What about the other ninety nine percent? I kept asking myself that. At that time, there was no research grants. There was no really business or uh, around the other ninety nine percent until the Human Microbiome Project kicked off. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, here's this massive NIH project designed and funded to look at the other 99%, right? And understand who they are and so on. So for me, right off the bat, it answered a very frustrating question for me as to why are we only focusing on the 0.1%. And so it became my mission then to learn and understand and work in the human microbiome. And then I also hypothesized, like most scientists did at the time, that we will likely find a lot of health solutions within that 99%, mm-hmm. right? And so it became, uh, you know, my, my big focus. Incredible. I mean, to be honest, I, I had no idea that it's uh, 99% benign or, or uh, beneficial. Do you know the splicing between like beneficial and benign? No, that is hard to know because uh, the other 99% would have to be very well characterized Mm -hmm. to understand if most of them are, what percentage are beneficial, what are benign. I would say though, I would venture to guess that every microbe that's non-pathogenic is beneficial in some way, Yeah. right? Some of them are probably more overtly beneficial. We know what they do. They produce these compounds and do all these things. But then the other ones that are just sitting there that aren't harming you likely provide context Mm-hmm. to the ecosystem that provides stability, you know, that wards off pathogenic organisms to a certain degree, that controls certain mechanisms. So I would say, I would venture to say from our conversation just now, we'll make the leap and say that the 99% are beneficial Yeah, and, and not even use the word benign, because I think if yeah. they're benign, they're beneficial. Yeah, for sure. And also, obviously, we're going to get to different, or, uh, I mean, different organs and and you know, in the skin and the different flora there. But before we do that, I'm curious how that turned into uh, MBL, to Microbiome Labs. And um, because we're trying to condense like 20 years into a few (laughs) sentences. So how did that turn into Microbiome Labs and, and how did that go? I assume pretty well. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the the idea there when I first started looking at is, and, I, and I've been working in the supplement space up to that point, doing a lot of research, consultation, product development support, and things like that. And so my, my knee-jerk response to thinking about how do you use microbes to affect health 
was looking at probiotics. And fortunately, there was a, a big multinational company at the time that had started working with uh, one of my ingredient and research companies to help them understand new strains of probiotics and new formulation ideas because they were having a lot of competition in the retail space and the probiotics were going into the tens of billions and so on and higher and higher numbers. And they had the foresight to go, hey, let's take a look at this, right? So we had a connection with them from previous work and they came and they said, can you take a look at what would be kind of the next generation probiotics? Do we need it to be refrigerated? What is, what's the capsule technology, all that stuff. So that got me looking into probiotics with a keen eye and looking at it from a microbiology perspective. And then you very quickly realize that there's lots and lots of just nonsense out there, yeah. you know, and, and just the way people are thinking about what a probiotic is and what it may do in itself is, is kind of nonsensical because most of those ideas were developed prior to the Human Microbiome Project kicking off, right? So they were developing these ideas in, the, in a vacuum of information. Yeah. They, didn't, right? they didn't know anything about how the microbial ecosystem was set up in the gut. And then you're just bombarding it with all these microbes. And so we, we went through and, and my first question was, what is our natural interaction with bacteria in the, through the course of human evolution? And then number two, the second question around that is, in those interactions that we would naturally have, are any of those microbes suitable to be probiotics as we understood the definition to be? And probiotics are defined as a live microorganism when administered in adequate amounts confers a health benefit to the host. So it has to be live. It has to be an organism that you can administer or gets administered. And then you should be able to uh, delineate a uh, benefit to the host. And, um, so we started looking, right? You, you're, when you're born, you're going to get all this inoculum, you know, living in, in the environment. You're picking up microbes and all that. So we started looking at the environment. You're making trash cans. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Everywhere. Pets, yeah. animals, right? Everything that we do, we're interacting with microbes. And outside of the birthing process and, and nursing, the rest of your life, you're interacting with microbes in the environment. And so we said, okay, let's look at the environment. Are there microbes in the environment that can function as a probiotic, meaning they can exist in the gut, but then also exist in the outside world as a vector to get into hosts? And that's when we came across the spore-based bacteria. And we started really diving into that. And then we realized quickly that, hey, these microbes have been used as pharmaceutical drugs since the 1950s. Wow. Right? And, and the first one was launched by Sanofi Aventis in 1952, based on the ability of bacillus, in this case, uh, clausi, to competitively exclude dysentery microbes, right? So they used it in lieu of an antibiotic, and this is prior to broad spectrum antibiotics anyway, but they were using it in order to treat dysentery. And where they even came across this is in North Africa and, and other regions where they have animals like camels. When they get sick to the stomach, one of the things that the locals do is they eat dried camel dung. Hmm. Right. As a treatment for gut infections. And so this is the where the idea came from. Scientists took a bunch of this camel dung and they, they analyzed it and they found that it had high levels of bacillus spores. That's where they isolated the spores and turned it into a prescription drug in 1952 that's still on the market today. Wow. In, right. In almost two thirds of the world, it's still used to treat things like traveler's diarrhea, dysentery in kids, chronic upper, upper respiratory infections and so on. So we said, okay, this is making a lot of sense. So we dove into the world of spores to really understand what they are, how to use them as a probiotic. 
the good thing, the beneficial thing in all of this is we did a couple of years worth of work to figure all this out. We came back to that company and we said, okay, we've discovered what would be the next generation of probiotics. In fact, I formulated Megaspore for them, essentially, wow. right? So I took them the formula of Megaspore. Here's what I would do. Here's the dose. And then gave them a whole clinical plan. Here's what we would study. And the great thing is just a few months before that, that company got sold to a bigger company. And the new management in the bigger company said, thanks for the work. We're not interested in any of this. Right. Wow. So they just pass it off and said, you know, we have no interest. We're not changing anything right now. We barely can integrate the two businesses. So we said, okay, we came out that meeting and we're like, we've got to do something about this because we realized two things. One, most probiotics out there were nonsense and, and people are spending all this money and practitioners were spending all this money on probiotics. And two, we had a better way to do this, a way that we thought could be highly effective. That's when I met Tom Bain, my business partner in Microbiome Labs. What was interesting about Tom, as you know him, he's a he's a functional medicine practitioner. He's a chiropractor by training, but did functional medicine in Europe for seven years, came back to the States, opened a practice, very successful practice in the north side of Chicago. And his practice was 98% focused on the gut, hmm. right? He worked on every problem that the person had through the gut. But here's the surprising thing about him. As a gut practitioner, he didn't use a single probiotic in his practice, right? Not a one. And that fascinated me. And I was like, how is it that you are a gut-based practitioner? You don't use any probiotics. And he basically said, I've tried them all. None of them work. Yeah. You know, they're not really doing anything. And I was like, I think I know why. And I explained it to him. And he said, all right, we got to take this to the, to the doctors. And so that's what caused us to, uh, to uh, found Microbiome Labs uh, because it was a significant need to reform how people thought about and understood probiotics. It's fascinating. That's such a ser serendipitous moment to, to have this uh, research. Basically, you know, you're not even like uh, they didn't even disprove the, the no. theory. They're like, you know what? That might be great, but good luck. You yeah. know, that, that's great. We just can't do anything about it. Oh, here's the other part of it that's really fascinating. So I, as I mentioned before, before starting Microbiome Labs, I'd been working in the supplement industry. I actually worked with a number of companies in the healthcare practitioner space, formulating products, developing ingredients. And, and I did research for a couple of them as well. Uh, Tom did as well. So Tom's company in or the practice that he worked with, with his father-in-law in Europe, they had built a big distribution network of US-based products and other regions products to practitioners in Belgium and Germany and other areas that ended up becoming Metagenics Europe. Wow. Uh, right. Metagenics bought them. So he had experience with companies in the healthcare practitioner space as well. So when, when, when I brought this spore stuff to him and, and we talked through it, he said, you know, all right, let's get it out there. And I said, okay, I'm going to take it to the companies I know in the healthcare practitioner space. You take it to the people, you know, and let's see if one of them wants to pick it up. We, we have all the information. We can tell them how to do it. And so we took it to everybody and everybody's response was, this makes zero sense. There were two things. One was they said, we don't like the idea of a spore. It sounds bad, right? It sounds negative. It sounds like anthrax spores or, yeah. or, or, or uh, you know, mold spores. So they're like, we can't sell it because nobody knows anything about spores. Okay. Number two. Sounds like was, cordyceps on, on ants or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. And it's like some weird alien thing. And, yeah. and, and we're like, well, yeah, exactly. That's why you educate on it. This is a perfect mm -hmm. opportunity to do some education. Like, no, we're not in the business of education. Number two. 
4 billion CFUs was the, was the formula, right? And they're like, mm-hmm. we cannot sell 4 billion. Our probiotics are 40 billion, 30 billion, 50 billion. They're like, it won't make any sense for us to sell 4 billion. Mm-hmm. So all of them just outright rejected it. Right. And, uh, and so that's why we launched it ourselves. And, and the funny thing, the reason why the product is called Megaspore, our, our, the flagship probiotic is because all of those companies, including a couple of marketing firms we talked to, all of them said, don't say anything about sports because it has negative connotation. And we said, you know what? We're, we're, we're dumb enough in the world of marketing that we don't care. And we're going to call it mega spore, the scariest spore you can think of. Right. And we're like, we want to invite the conversation. You know, we have to educate people on this stuff. So, uh, so thank goodness they all passed on it. Thank goodness that big company got bought out by a bigger company Mm -hmm. or, you know, we probably wouldn't even be here having this conversation today. Crazy. Listen, so obviously microbiome labs have been an incredible mover and shaker and and trailblazer in in our kind of I would say like health optimization field and um, I mean I think any company that I don't know if you can do the same thing that microbiome did as far as like the the, the uh, journey that that you guys went through in order to to become you know this amazing company that that eventually got sold uh, but that kind of birthed some interesting interesting uh, things that, that uh, I asked you to come and, and talk with us about today. And, and what's funny is that since I've known you for a while, since I've, I've been following you for, for a long time, when I heard you are creating some kind of, I would say like a skin topical vertical for that, I texted you immediately. It's like, can can we can we have it? Can, can, can we do something about it? And you're like, no, no, no. There's one person that that I I'm really uh, saving this for for her. And obviously that uh, was very impressive to me because you uh, you kind of did for someone else what you did for yourself a long time ago, which is kind of you know put all your faith in this one person, which is super admirable. And we've been trying to be as supportive as we can in that process. Uh, and that's how Civ was born, right? Skin IV was born. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason why I was talking to her about it is I was on a podcast and at the end of the podcast, a host had asked me, you know, is, is there any message you want to give out to the community? Because I was also talking about, you know, business and building company and all that too. And I said, well, you know, one of the most difficult parts of building a business, as you know well, is those early stages, right? Uh, where you have no resources, you have no money, you have no way of getting any of that stuff. Finding the right people to guide you and all that is also really hard. So you end up doing it yourself a lot of it and making lots of mistakes. For me, one of the ways in, in paying forward the things that have worked out in, in my world of business is to do that for other entrepreneurs, right? Be there in that early stage whether it's financing, advice, strategy, whatever it may be. So I said, you know, if if you are thinking of a business idea, if you've got something burning in you and you want to get it out there, reach out to me, right? And I, I gave him the contact information. And and then sure enough, you know, a week or two later after the, uh, the podcast aired, she'd reach out and she was, what, 23, 24 at the time. And I just, I love that tenacity, you know, and she, she tried and I was slow in getting back to her, but she kept persistent uh, kept persisting and and uh, and kept reaching out, and then we had a book, booked a call and had a conversation, and she had great ideas, and she was thinking of the the skin microbiome, and she had uh, you know some really interesting notions on it, and and she just seemed really tenacious and passionate about it, right? And I'm like, okay, so this is the promise I made, 
right? This is what I put out there in the in the universe that if this opportunity comes along, I'm going to help them with it. And so that's why I was like, okay, you, I'm going to work with you. Let's do this together. I'm going to support you as much as I can. And so that's that's where I was born, you know, and uh, and and I had to stick to those guns and like, okay, I'm going to work with her on this. But it's it we it's it's exciting, you know. I love seeing that early phase in a company. And then I also love, uh, you know, seeing how we can end up partnering together anyway through all yeah. of that. So, uh, yeah, because, you know, rising tide lifts all ships, right? And that's that's my uh, my motto around this stuff. But For yeah, that's sure. how it came about. Uh, and it's so, so rewarding to to be a little, you know, lever in, yeah. in that early part of the journey that can help push that entrepreneur forward because, you know, it's not easy. You go through a lot. You know, something that it's funny that you are saying it because something um, that I've seen behind the scenes about your behavior throughout the years is that there is it, it, it really confuses me as someone that really Anastasia and I had to really do everything kind of on, on our own. It really confused me every time anew the detached relationship you have between the time and the attention you give something and the immediate financial reward. Like it's almost like you are you are uninterested in the immediate financial reward of that of that action you're you're putting out there. And it obviously starts with you giving us your time and attention to um I mean to Civ to a few other projects that you have. It's very interesting and it really shows I think genuine interest and passion to uh to that field of human optimization, I guess. Yeah, well, and I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Because the other motto I live by, which I actually was talking about it this past weekend, is this idea of adding value with no expectations, mm-hmm. right? And and that's that's what I always try to do because I f- I feel that uh, number one, there's there's two things. If you if you go by that mentality, is number one, it allows you to just simply support and give without trying to figure out how you can benefit from it, right? Mm -hmm. And number two, I think more often than not, somehow it'll come back and be beneficial to you anyway, right? And because, you know, I've gone through times of need and all that quite significantly, I know how to navigate those times. I'm fortunately in a place where I don't have the same needs anymore. This is the perfect time for me to be doing really living to that motto, Right. And um, and it's just I love entrepreneurs. I love people like you guys who just put it all out there and just go, you know what, we're taking the risk. We're doing this. We're passionate about it. It's just it's such a beautiful thing to witness somebody create something that did not exist. Right. So if you take a moment, I know you probably don't do this very much, but if you take a moment and you think about the number of people, the millions of people that have a bottle of young goose of something sitting Either on their, you know, uh, next to their sink or in their in the cabinet somewhere, and they use it on a daily basis, and it benefits them. Just think like this is just something that came out of your heads, right? It just yeah. bore out of your body and your thoughts, and now it's in millions of households, and people are benefiting from it, and people are selling it, and you know, making uh, commerce out of it. It's just. It's fascinating that we can create like this. Yeah. And to me, I need, you know, if I can play a role in someone doing that, man, I have to do that. You know, I have to be involved in it in whatever Incredible. way possible. Right. Incredible. Again, I think everyone by now understand why why uh, we love you, Kiran. So now, first of all, I have to have one joke. Uh, it came out came out of our head exactly like a cordyceps mushroom coming out. Of <laughs> 
Yeah. That's but twice that, you said cordyceps. <laughs> you love cordyceps. I love cordyceps, by the way. But what I'm interested in is kind of uh, your frame of mind around, and we've been dancing around the subject of skin microbiome, etc. But is has before she kind of reached out and um, and asked you about. Uh, could could we apply it on the skin, et cetera? Is it something that you were thinking about? Obviously, by then, I believe Microbiome Lab had a skin-specific probiotic. Yeah. But is it something that you were saying, you know, that I would like to create a topical product which addresses microbiome in the you know, skin microbiome? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I had made some prototypes of a cream with some of the spores probably three years before that looking at, uh, we and we had used just a simple shea butter as like a base and added the spores to it. Uh, and we were having people with, with eczema or inflamed skin try it to see, number one, did it make it worse in some way or react negatively or was it beneficial? In general, we were seeing kind of a benefit of it. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the sequencing capability yet to really um, know what's happening on the on the skin microbiome at that time, but we were seeing some benefit. And then I always kind of tap into evolutionary biology to go, okay, does this make sense naturally, right? And it absolutely does because so one of the, one of the interesting things about spores is that it spores tend to blow across the globe, starting from the Sahara Desert and areas on right in desert dust. Uh, even in the Mojave and all that in North America. And you get a significant amount of exposure of bacillus spores in in the air. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they settle in on your skin. You actually breathe them in. So there's actually some indications of use uh, as a sinus uh, cleanser as well. And that was a study we were starting right before the pandemic hit with a ear, nose, and throat doctor in Canada who had been looking at using that, uh, using it in that uh, manner. And so the spores that we utilize as an oral probiotic in nature, we actually have a far more intimate relationship with those organisms. They're actually all over our skin, all over our airways and all that. And so we started looking at what they actually do on the skin because we know that they don't come out of the spore state and colonize and live on the skin permanently, right? But spores are unique in that even in the spore form and especially in the spore form, they have certain immunogenic factors. Mm-hmm. They have a cap- uh, capability of recruiting the immune system to deal with the problem that's in that local area. Uh, that's one of the things that they do in the gut as well. They increase the expression of something called toll-like receptors, which mm-hmm. are these receptors that help lots of cells identify pathogens and so on, right? So they're basically, you can think of it as opening the eyes of the immune system to the presence of dysfunctional organisms. And so we, the hypothesis was they probably do something similar on the skin itself. And so what we were doing is we were doing simple things like putting them on surfaces, not even on the skin. We did one small exercise where we put them on the on cell phones, right? So we had powder, we mixed it in like a little solution and we rubbed it on a cell phone. And when we left two cell phones on the desk, one with the spores rubbed on it, the other one without for like four weeks. And then we checked both of the phones and the one that's just sitting there without the spores on it had all this staph, staphylococcus, streptococcus, E. coli, all the stuff that ends up on it from the air, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other one had no growth of any of these other microbes, wow. right? And so we're like, okay, the spores are doing something even in the spore form, even in a non-biological media like the cell phone. So it became really clear to us that they have key functionality in guarding the skin. 
And so with Isabel, one of the first things we did is she started recruiting people that have acne. We started with acne, so they, they started treating themselves once a day with the uh, with the sieve serum. And then we were seeing tremendous effects on acne in as little as 14 days, you know, 21 days. And so we go, okay, let's take a look at the microbiome component of this and see the microbiome is changing as a result of the acne going away or the microbiome is changing and causing the acne to go away. Mm-hmm. So we, we, have a, we, we have a few subjects that we did this with. And one, one guy in particular, for example, has a lot of inflammatory lesions on his forehead, right? He's probably about 21 years old. Yeah. Lots of inflammatory lesions. So we did forehead swabs of him, sent it in for sequencing. Uh, this was last year we did this. He had, I think, 68% cutie bacterium acnesis. Mm-hmm. made up the microbes on the forehead, right? We know cutibacterium acnesis is, is a part of the commensal flora, especially on the face and sebaceous areas of the body. The thing is, if cutibacterium increases past a certain prevalence level, it's also been shown to trigger the formation of lesions and it gets yeah. into the pores and drives inflammation, all that stuff. So we said, okay, this makes sense. This forehead looks like that of somebody with 68% prevalence of cutibacterium. So we started treating it with the sieve, with the serum once a day. We started seeing the improvements in the uh, in the lesions, and then two weeks later, we re-swabbed it, sent it in. The prevalence of cutibacterium is down to fourteen percent. Wow! Right, and we can't detect the spores on it. That's the fascinating part, right? Because what some people might say is that, well, you're putting the spores on there, right? So then, when you re- redo the sequencing, you're just picking up spores. Yeah. But that's not actually true because in the sequencing, we don't find any spores on there. So the spores are going on, you know, spending a little bit of time on the skin and then either leaving or, or transitioning some way. We're not picking them up, but we're seeing a dramatic reduction in the problematic organisms. And in his case, I think we saw an increase in Staph aureus as well, which helps with some of the inflammation. So it was fascinating. Now we're starting to see that change, change in the microbial community and then the resulting change in the appearance of the skin. So it's uh, exciting. Wow, super fascinating. And I think something I learned from you, which was, I mean, something that I, I the, the same thing, there is a meme now about how often you think about the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. which unfortunately I think of daily. <laughs> I am thinking a lot about something you've taught me, which is that we actually do not want a lot of diversity in our skin microbiome as opposed to obviously our gut microbiome. So how are we looking at the, the relationship of sieve and the, por- the spores that it provides and balancing or off-balancing that, that accumulation of bacteria in the skin or be- non-beneficial bacteria? Yeah. And, and here's where the spores become so fascinating because their ability to do quorum sensing is phenomenal. Their ability to read other microbial signatures and then not only read other microbial signatures, but then somehow stimulate the release of com- compounds that control the population. Because in the gut, what we see them do is increase diversity, right? So yeah. we've published studies showing three weeks of taking the spores as a probiotic increases diversity almost 30%, which is mm-hmm. amazing. On the skin, what we're seeing is a dramatic decrease in diversity when you put the spores on. Uh, we have some of the, uh, the case studies, and we'll get a n- number of more subjects after this, but we see people with like a distributed prevalence of almost 14 different organisms at like, you know, 8%, 6%, 9%, right? We'll, we'll see this, this uh, striation of organisms at like almost equivalent amounts. We add the bacillus on there, and then all of a sudden it's like 80% staph aureus. Wow. Right. Uh, sorry, eighty percent staph epidermidis. Yeah, and then all the other microbes are tiny amounts, less than one percent. 
right? And so it, we see this rebalancing of the skin microbiome, lowering the diversity, which is fascinating. I don't exactly know how that works yet. I think that's part of the intelligence of symbiogenesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, symbiogenesis being the process of forced symbiotic mutualism, right? For, because of living in the same ecosystem. We've lived with the spores for millions of years and we interact with them all the time. And so they figured out that, hey, my healthy host requires low diversity on the skin, high diversity in the gut mucosa. They have the intelligence to do that for us, right? The other area where where we have empirical evidence says that it does this is also in the vaginal canal, yeah. right? Because we've had lots and lots of docs utilize the spores as an insert in the vaginal canal for women women that have BV, yeast infections and all that. And we see that resolving. And the vagina is the other place outside of the skin where you want to have very low diversity and you want to have predominance of one, maybe two organisms in given spaces. So that that's a fascinating thing that we love to see. We see, love to see this natural adaptation to the environment that it's supposed to be, right? So we, we call the, the, the functionality of the sieve uh, product as how it it adapts to your biology, right? Because yeah. it's, it's it should be adapting to what your natural biology should be in a given area rather than trying to force it one way or the other like we do with, you know, antimicrobials and all that kind of stuff. Yes, you've literally, first of all, I would just applaud the choice for a serum rather than a cream before, before we talk about anything else. Obviously, because it's easier for us as a company to recommend using it together with our product, but also because you are... You know, I think we made a mistake where we started with an NAD cream rather than a serum because a serum is something that requires a much lower threshold of user experience. Like you don't have to be some kind of artist as far as like user experience. You really are a, you could be a Puritan of of active ingredients or an active ingredient and kind of focus on that rather than trying to run around and, and try to found it, find a system that coexists with it uh, apropos you know uh, systems that coexist the other thing that is that is you know fascinating to me is that you are really talking about I believe the next generation of skincare that's something that we are fascinated with as well because if you think about you know the last 20 years of you know medical grade skincare which basically is let's try and have the skin f- you know, exfoliate as much as we can, mm-hmm. probably creating leaky skin, which we're going to talk about in a second. But we're basically hijacking a completely foreign signal to the skin, which then we're hoping the body is going to react positively to. And what you're saying, and we're doing it, for example, with fermented resveratrol, but what we're, what you're saying is, I am going to ha- basically piggyback on existing relationships between the skin and, and the environment. And you know, just maybe refine them to the results that I'm looking for, which is amazing. Yeah. And that's, I'm so glad you pointed that out because that's one of my, one of my adages always has, is that, you know, we're not smart enough to outsmart nature, right? Mm -hmm. We're, We're just smart enough to understand how some of these things work and then utilize what nature's already kind of provided for us. And especially in the world of microbes. And this is maybe different in, in nutrients and all that, where it's, it's this, this function is a little bit more simplistic. Mm-hmm. But microbes are so much more complicated, right? Because they're genes and they do all this metabolic activity. So you want to be more careful with microbes than you are with nutrients. But that's exactly right, right? It's, it's about identifying how nature is already functioning with these relationships. And then can we be smart enough to kind of uh, create that opportunity 
to have that relationship rather than outsmarting it. And and I actually uh, want to give you a little bit of credit with the serum thing, because one of the key reasons why we went with the serum to begin with, because the knee-jerk reaction is to do a, a cream or moisturizer, yeah. right? It's just that you think that um, everyone uses a moisturizer, so make them use this as your moisturizer. Yes. One of the reasons is because I use your products personally, right? And so thinking about it that way is like, well, I don't want to stop using my my Young Goose cleanser or, or moisturizers. I want to add it, add to it, right? Yeah. And so the serum actually made sense. And it was for that very reason, because the things I like that I already use, I don't want to replace them. I like what they bring me and what they do for me and do for my system. I just yeah. want to add to it. And so that, that was a, a, a key reason. And with everything we look at moving forward with Civ, it's going to be something similar to that, right? How do you add this to what you're already doing? Make it simple, make it once a day, make it, you know, uh, something that people don't really have to think about, but know that they're doing it, that they're doing something good for themselves. Yeah. I mean, again, it allows you freedom that you wouldn't have if you try to, you know, if you really tried to tattoo sieve on every part of, of someone's vanity, right? Right. Like it, it's, I think it's genius. Hey there, this is Amitai, co-founder and CEO of Young Goose and uh, host of the Biohacking Beauty podcast. I wanted to take a brief moment to share something really special with you, our dedicated listeners. At Young Goose, we've always been about more than just skincare. We are about cellular care. We believe in not just addressing the signs, but truly diving into the very source of skin aging. The reality is, as time goes on, our skin undergoes damage, and this damage accumulates, gradually leading to those signs of aging we all see and know very well. But what if we could hit the rewind button? What if we could delve deep, in, uh, not into the layers of the skin, but into the life-sustaining mechanisms of our skin cells? That's exactly what we're doing at Young Goose. We're pioneering a renaissance in skincare by employing principles from regenerative medicine. By rejuvenating and restoring the cellular functions, our products aim to rewind time, gifting your skin a youthful, vibrant glow. And for our biohacking beauty listeners, we have a special treat. Head over to younggoose.com right now and use the code PODCAST10 to get 10% off your first purchase. Discover the magic of truly transformative skincare. And hey, because we value our returning customers just as much, use PODCAST5 on your subsequent purchases to get 5% off. And the best part that this can discount can be combined with subscriptions and our already discounted systems. So why wait? Dive deep into the realm of regenerative skincare with Young Goose and let your skin thank you. Remember, it's not just skincare, it's cellular care. And now back to our conversation. So, you know, we've been talking about leaky skin for a while, for three years or something like that, looking at something beyond, you know, what we're giving the skin, yes or no, but really who is the host of whatever we're giving. And suddenly I'm sitting in, in uh, Kiran's lecture and Kiran start, starts to talk about leaky skin. And I immediately pull out my phone and text 
text Kiran things to his phone mid lecture, which probably didn't look great because I was uh, front row. But um, but I was very excited that to find that you are talking about it as well. So obviously, I think again, giving you credit, a lot of the reason that we've you know started you know using the term leaky skin was because of the uh, relationship we had, I had, and Stacia had with your product and looking at our gut and and, and making sure we don't have uh, increased gut permeability, leaky gut. Was that the connection that you made as well? Like, uh, how did you come about talking about leaky skin? Yeah. And that was exciting. You actually sent me some really good stuff. So I do appreciate that. And actually, it's going to help because one of the things I'm trying to formulate right now in my head is how do we do a study on leaky skin, right? Like I have the researcher ready. We have to go and try to figure out, okay, what is the, what are we testing yeah. to make it easy, right? Because you can do lots of things in a longitudinal study. But the idea comes around this, uh, of this notion of components within your body, within your biology that no longer function the way they're supposed to because the ecosystem has changed, mm-hmm. right? This, there's a lot of this in the gut. Uh, and of course, leaky gut is, is a principal evidence of that, where the, the barrier system of the gut ceases being an active, intelligent barrier because the microbes in that region change, right? Yeah. Same thing with the small intestine. We know that the small intestine will no longer function like a small intestine. The moment that there's an ecological shift of microbes in there, you go from a regular small intestine to now SIBO and all these different conditions, right? So looking at all of the barrier systems in the body, the the blood-brain barrier, the skin, the moment you start changing the ecosystem, the barrier gets affected. And honestly, I was, you know, had this idea of like leaky different parts of the body because we're changing barrier function and we're changing yeah. structure. But I didn't really dive into leaky skin into the last like into the last like six months to six or 10 months. So you're, you're certainly ahead of that uh, in, in leaky skin. But it was very, very compelling once I started to because it's it there's so much good evidence now. And I'm working right now on putting together a full animation to explain how leaky skin happens. But it, a lot of it also comes down to that dysbiosis, right? It starts with changing of the microbes on that surface, and then things start to dismantle beyond that. And then, and then now we have evidence from things like that Baltimore Longitudinal Study on Aging that leaky skin is like an independent risk factor for chronic health issues. Yes. Right. And and, and what was uh, what's awesome about that st- study is that um, it it showed that our instinct, as we think about unhealthy skin and an unhealthy person, our instinct is to think that. Well, that makes sense because they're unhealthy on the inside, thereby their outside is unhealthy as well. It actually goes well beyond that where the unhealthy skin on the outside is actually driving dysfunction on the inside. Yes. Right? And I think that's, that's something you had realized before that. I think it's it's super smart to think about it that way. And if I were to design a study for leaky skin, I would actually look at the effects on, you know, different stressors that we that we expose the skin to and the HPA axis. Like mm-hmm. I want to see how, you know, how the skin communicates what we call the uh, skin uh, brain axis. Yep. Uh, I want to see how stress is, is communicated throughout the body through the skin. I think it would be like super interesting. Yeah. And one, one thing I'll say about the, the leaky skin study that, that I want to do, one of the things I would love to do is to have one of the arms of the study be a combination of the sieve product and one of your products, 
you know, you pick which one that, that you think would, would help the barrier of the skin the most. Yeah. And let's do that. That would be super exciting. Uh, also, sure. uh, run and fund the study, but I, but I would love to see this combination of things, you know, see if, if that uh, does better than just even the sieve by itself. Which Amazing. I guess it is, it, it would, right? So it's almost like a probiotic, prebiotic kind of study. Uh, in this case, it's the microbe component and then the nutrition that that you find within uh, yeah. your your product. I think that combination would be really exciting. Yeah, I agree. And I think also, thank you very much. I think also we've made the claim before, and I think you are supporting that claim, is that obviously you you alluded to the fact that the skin can tell us a lot about the biological age or the functional age of the person and we are not only seeing that obviously we started seeing it from a study i think 2013 and uh what we're starting to see is companies developing ai algorithms to actually look at to extrapolate the our visual appearance to our biological age and, and assessing different conditions in the body through uh, the appearance of the skin and yeah. what we like to say is that even the age of our skin is reflected by the age of our skin or or the state of our uh, skin barrier and um, I think this is another evolution in in skincare understanding that our nothing works well if our if the top of the skin if the protective layer of the skin doesn't function optimally yeah absolutely and 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 making it an independent focus for health right yeah. and going beyond the vanity of having nice looking skin yeah because I, I think a lot of people and I know people like this personally too who are very health conscious do focus a lot on the inside on the internal and and things like lifestyle, like exercise and all that, they're not doing a whole lot that's healthy for their skin either, mm -hmm. right? And and they're doing a lot of things that we know you and I know are incredibly unhealthy for the skin. Yeah. Right? They're using a lot of products that are that are incredibly toxigenic to the skin, to the microbiome of the skin, and likely to their internal system, mm -hmm. without really thinking about it. It's interesting. Like I'll have people coming to me at conferences and they'll ask me about the cellulose you know, which is a plant-based fiber that's in the, in the megaspore capsule, right? As, as, as something that to fill the capsule up, you need, if the, if the spores only make up, you know, 180 milligrams, you need something to take it to 250 yeah. or 500, or you can't fill the capsule. So we said, okay, let's use a plant fiber because the spores will metabolize it anyway. And it's a, it's like a prebiotic. Yeah. Then they'll come and go, well, that's, this means you have a filler in your product. And, and I'm like, well, it's not really, a, yes, it's used to fill the capsule, but it's not the same thing as a filler as you think about it, because it's actually functional and it, yeah. it'll support the system where like, they're like, well, I can't use products with filler in it. But I think there is going to be an, a, a revolution around skin health as a independent factor around on health itself rather than just the vanity part of it. I agree. And again, it, it's a chicken and the egg. I wonder if uh, people are going to understand look you know science will progress we're going to have these you can take a picture and and kind of analyze extrapolate your your biological age and then people are going to say oh i have to look better because i want to score better on yeah. that and then we're going to have some kind of shift i don't know what's going to come first but it's definitely something we've been trying to explain for a long time and you're doing it expertly one of the things that um that i am very interested in is um i would say allowing other skin 
ingredients or, or actives to work better when we have a better functioning skin barrier and microbiome. Have you looked into that? I mean, what we're trying to do a lot is say, hey, these are the active ingredients we want your skin to enjoy from, whether it is a senolytic agent or, you know, NAD nano, nanoparticles, whatever that is. But we're saying, hey, but you do need a functional skin barrier or you do need, you know, a certain pH level because if not, these are not going to really be ushered into the skin, into the cells, et cetera. What have you seen as far as that? Yeah, I, I think that absolutely makes a lot of sense because we have analogous systems in the body that that are exactly that, right? Where, like the gut, for example, we've done yeah. so much of this work in the gut. Um, you you can feed, for example, L-glutamine to the to the to the digestive tract, but if you've got the wrong microbes in there, driving massive inflammation, lots of mucolytic activity going on, eating away the mucus layer, um, releasing toxins in the lining of the gut, the glutamine is not going to do much, yeah. right? It, it, it's it's just a tool for the microbes to utilize in order to help make the proper function in the digestive tract. I think same thing with the skin because one of the problems with the microbiome, and I and I try to explain this in most of my talks, is that if you look at the microbiome, wherever it is on the skin and the gut, uh, in the brain, everywhere else, that there is a spectrum of relationship we have with our microbiome, right? On mm -hmm. one end of the spectrum, if it's the if it's a well balanced, good, right microbiome, the right microbes in the right place, not only is it good for you, but it's the most protective thing for that organ system, right? If you have the right skin microbes, it's going to be incredibly protective of your barrier of functionality, provide your skin with resilience and all that good stuff. On the other end of the spectrum, if you have a really, really dysfunctional microbiome, not only is it not doing all the protective function, it's actually working against you by acting in a toxigenic damaging manner, yeah. right? So the microbes are, and most people are somewhere on that spectrum. So if your skin is closer to this spectrum of being damaging, so those microbes aren't only uh, aren't only not protecting your skin and, and helping establish the proper barrier, they are actively working against the barrier, actively producing toxins, actively recruiting the most, you know, least beneficial immune cells to the area, TH17 cells, yeah. for example, right, that create lots of inflammation that damages that region. And creates senescent cells. And creates senescent cells, right? And that inflammation and that damage and that oxidative stress will drive senescence. So you're using uh, a senolytic compound and you're doing it swimming upstream, well, right? And, and so it's like, it, and I always say this in, in the gut, it's like if you're not paying attention to the microbial ecosystem and you're, you're using the nutrients, you may be taking two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, yeah. one step back, right? We want to make sure that we're providing them with the full capability of, in, of uh, taking advantage of all of the nutrients. So this is why, in part why, you know, when we first started thinking about this, I was so excited about your excitement around this because you guys provide such key nutrients and, and compounds that are important to the skin. And then we can provide the, the microbiome component to it. And that combination, I think, will be incredibly powerful. I agree 100%. And, and what I'm kind of realizing from what you're saying, and that's, again, something we're trying to educate a lot about, whether it is skin-specific or, or holistically, we are, you know, skin rejuvenation. Obviously, if a person is 25 years old and is starting their skincare journey, first of all, well done if you're listening to this podcast and you're 25, but um, starting their journey, they are swimming 
I would say, either parallel or downstream, right? They have mm-hmm. a lot of leeway for what they can use and, and how they can create resilience over time. But when we're ta- talking about someone who has accumulated damage, has signs of aging that they now want to you know, rewind, what they are really doing is they have a, a, an intricate relationship between acute inflammation and recovery. And one of the best ways to perfect that, uh, that uh, dichotomy, that, that relationship, is by lowering you know, chronic inflammation, inflammation that is unrelated. It's almost like uh, quieting the surround noise in order for us to be able to speak well and, and convey a message. And that cannot happen if you have, you know, inflammation in the skin, the wrong type of microbes, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great example. We actually saw this in the first leaky gut study we did back in 2017. Uh, and this was mostly younger college students. So the average age is 23, 24. And we found that 55% of them that we tested had very severe leaky gut, right? Really high wow. degrees of inflammation. They would see a six-fold increase in serum LPS the lip- and the endotoxin uh, lipopolysaccharide postprandially. So they eat a meal and yeah. then LPS levels go 6x and then all their inflammatory cytokines go through the roof as well, wow. right? But they don't feel anything mm-hmm. because their body can repair it. They can, it can deal with it, right? It's they, They're young enough. They have enough functioning stem cells and all that capability, all the metabolic capability, good functioning mitochondria, so all their cells can function the way it's supposed to. They can repair that damage. That same level of leaky gut in your 30s means you absolutely have an autoimmune disease, probably metabolic syndrome, and probably a rash somewhere on your body, right? And 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 then it gets worse beyond that, right? That yeah. same level of endotoxemia is also associated with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's yeah. down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the analogy I give to people all the time, with a, which I think a lot of people can probably, you know, identify with is like, you know, remember when we were 21, 22, we could go out and go drinking two, three nights in a row, right? and be fine. Eat some terrible pizza that night mm-hmm. or the next morning and be fine. We'll bounce right back. Now in, in your late 30s, early 40s and so on, you do that, you can't bounce back the same way, right? One night, one, one night, night. Uh, karaoke with Kiran and, uh, <laughs> and I need a year to recover. Exactly, right? And we feel that, right? So raw, in such a raw manner, we feel the body just draining to repair itself and the how all the system just kind of shut down your brain doesn't work as well your digestive system you can't produce energy you're certainly not bouncing back and heading to the pool the next day and you know drinking mai tais and stuff right so that's exactly what's happening at the cellular level as we age and a lot of it is like you said about how much inflammation we've banked along the way right if we're chronically hitting that system with that inflammation we're, we're banking too much and we're losing the capability of repair. Yeah, and um, I think there is there is one small thing that we're also losing, which is our, our reservoir. So we're starting mm-hmm. to lower our reservoirs, whether it is of basal cells, obviously, in the skin. We're starting to have we're, – we're not only swimming upstream. You know, I, I love, love Dr. Sandra Kaufman, Sandy Kaufman. She was mm-hmm. here in the podcast. I love Sandy Kaufman, but I cannot with handle – popping, you know, 72 different pills every day and being basically a DJ of my genetics. I can't. I don't have the time of day, the attention span, etc. So 
what we're looking at is a we're we're trying to be binary here and say okay I am causing inflammation I have uh, dysbiosis in the skin etc and I'm trying to create rejuvenation at the same time I'm not doing the 72 steps that I need to balance you know in other parts of the body and the skin in order to create a perfect balance no I'm I'm redlining my system basically and what it creates that redlining of the system if we're not obviously going to the skin garage and fine-tuning our microbiome to lower that systemic inflammation, etc. What we're creating is banking on reservoirs, which our skin is actually looking forward to using way later on. So we're creating as more fragility. We're creating a thin that is uh, less elastic. So we're going to actually accumulate, uh, you know, lines and wrinkles, etc. later on much faster. We know that one of the most uh, the, the cells that are most susceptible to senescence is actually our the cells that create pigment. Melanocytes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Melanocytes. And also our immune system cells in the skin. So we know that we're shortening telomeres. So we're doing, even if we're going to look good for one day for our you know daughter's wedding or whatever, we are looking down the barrel of you know, a, a very hard to deal with skin later on. And, you know, whether you're going to want to get under the knife in five, 10 years, that's, you know, sometimes not even not even possible. Or even if it's possible, you're risking, you know, adverse events, you're risking long recovery, you're risking just not enjoying the whole process. Yep. And and all the while, while that's happening, you're, you're, biological age is, yeah. is increasing dramatically, right? Mm-hmm. Because like we talked about earlier, as your skin gets more damaged and, and finds it harder to, and harder to recover, you're actually suffering on the inside as well. Yeah. And the interesting thing about melanocytes, about their senescence, and people see this in, in the formation of age spots and you know uh, heterogeneous pigmentation, which is a thing that happens to people as they age. And, and I think people are acutely aware of that. Mm-hmm. Melanocytes have this uh, unique capability of driving senescence to other cells around them as well, yeah. right? So yeah. they're driving other skin cell types in their region to become senescent as well. Yeah. And we also know that you know melanoma is the number one cancer. These cell, these mel- melanocytes are really, really susceptible to damage and changes, and a lot of that has to do with the barrier yeah. in itself. And you know. One of the point to what you just said, what's what's really interesting about the way I, I would love people to think about their skin, and uh, I think the way you guys have been talking about it as well, is that most people listening to this right now are doing things on a regular basis every single day that that we know, and hopefully they'll know now as well, that damages their skin. Yeah. Right. Likely the cosmetics they're using, if they're using cosmetics, likely the types of soaps that they use, even probably the lotion that they use. Right. Mm-hmm. They're probably not a, even aware unless they're using, uh, you know, cleaner moisturizer or something like you guys have formulated. They're likely using products that damage your skin uh, mm-hmm. and damage the skin microbiome. And so people have to become actively involved and aware that because of the damage that's inevitably happening every single day, you have to do something in that day to restore some of that damage, right? Because there comes a time and that time comes quick where your body can't restore it on its own. Yeah. It needs that help, right? So 
no different than than exercising every day, right? We when we're young, we may be able to get away with with months on end of not working out and still be lean and still be strong and have good muscle tone. But as we get uh, older, very quickly you start to realize that if you are you're lackadaisical on that, your body starts to change very quickly, right? Yeah, uh, and it's very noticeable. And so, same thing with the skin, right? We we need to have people be much more aware and conscious that they should be doing something every day that's that is supportive of their skin cells and supportive of the skin microbiome amen and to like connect to what you were saying right now there comes a time where our regenerative medicine actually kind of turns on us so you know obviously if we have you know great mitochondrial function we can get into a hyperbaric chamber and derive great results. We can get into, you know, an infrared sauna and drive great, great results. If we are we are not able to detox correctly, if our skin doesn't work correctly and cannot detox, or if our mitochondria doesn't work well and is actually burning off more energy than we're creating when we're giving it more oxygen, we're actually going to get adverse effects from uh, hyperbarics. So what we need to do is make sure that we're protecting all of those mechanisms for as long as we can, if not reversing, uh, obviously, the age of those mechanisms, at least protecting them. And, you know, to connect to what you said about the microbiome, I really think that this is obviously, there is an evil plan in this podcast, which is people will get better results from our products. And then they're going to say how great we are. But in order to, (laughs) but in order to do that, we need to we need to kind of communicate how they can be healthier individuals. And and there is probably nothing more important. Excuse me, everyone else that came on this podcast. There is there is probably nothing more important than uh, fixing leaky skin and I would say chronic suboptimal skin microbiome for the results that they're going to get with our products. Like it is. It not non-separable, I guess. I don't know how to say it exactly. Yeah, inseparable. 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 Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, <laughs> this has been also a, a lesson in English. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. Right, because it's a it's a beautiful one-two punch to deal with the with the foundational issue around leaky skin. Yeah. And that becomes the foundation of just healthy skin in general, right? Everything else you may do beyond that, like you mentioned, you're doing red light therapy, you're getting outside, you're getting sun, sunshine in a, in a certain degree, moderately, mm-hmm. right? All of those other things that you do will be further enhanced. And of course, your internal yeah. health focus will be f- in, uh, further enhanced, right? Because it doesn't help you at all to take a whole bunch of supplements every day, exercise, try to eat right, you know, take your probiotics for your gut and all that. And then your skin is leaky and, and mm-hmm. aged and, and, you know, causing systemic inflammation. Yeah. Right. You, again, you're swimming upstream and all yeah. the things that you're doing to try to be healthy are, are not going to have the total benefit that, that um, you, you think it should. And that's why I love when you started talking about leaky skin, because it's a pioneering area of understanding a massive driver of chronic inflammation and thereby chronic illness you know and so it's it's just it's it's where leaky gut was you know 10 yes. 12 years ago right and people called called us crazy to be totally. they call it crazy yeah every gastroenterologist who's yes. a quote-unquote gut expert said it doesn't exist the stupidest thing they've ever heard yeah now the nih the american diabetic association all these big research institutes have published studies saying leaky gut intestinal permeability you know, leaky skin is a real, real thing. And, uh, and and thanks for really bringing it out when you did a number of years ago. 
Listen, it's it's obviously it was only to say that I thought about it uh, before uh, Kiran and then uh, let Kiran do the rest. Um, but, <laughs> You're thinking but, about it in between the Roman Empire, <laughs> the Roman Empire, leaky skin. <laughs> your, your day is so busy now. I know. <laughs> between those two, uh, maybe I'm thinking about some emperors that had leaky skin, and then uh, anyway, <laughs> Kiran, I do want you know we have a finite attention span for people, so I do yes. want to ask you a bunch of questions about. About the f- actual functionality of the of the serum of se- the sieve serum first and foremost we do have a lot of people that actually use young goose products on the body as well mm-hmm. and obviously we're, we're planning on coming out, out with the body product but this is a big question can i use fill in the blank also on my fill in the blank right and yeah. a lot of products we say you know your your back of the hands are a big issue sarcopenia you know could somehow be be helped with uh, topical products. So could people use it also on the rest of their skin? Yeah, absolutely. So here's what's fascinating about that. We know that the skin microbiome is different based on the site yeah. that you're looking at, right? So the sebaceous areas like your face versus mm-hmm. the very dry areas like your forearms uh, will have different types of microbes that predominate in a healthy condition. So we've used it in, in, uh, in dry areas, uh, even in very moist areas like your groin or your under your armpits, which have a different microbiome. And of course, compared to sebaceous areas like your face, it mm-hmm. seems to impact all of those areas in a very similar way. And exactly how, it, how these microbes do it, we still have not elucidated that, but, but the spores are very adaptable to the region. This is why, you know, from a probiotic perspective, I can take it and I have a very different gut microbiome than you, for yes. example, right, at a species level, and yet the spores know, find a way to balance both our microbiomes out, even though both of ours are quite different. So you can absolutely use it in, in any area of the body. And we've had great success in people using it on eczema patches on their elbows and other areas. And then of course, all the things that happen on people's faces. Fantastic. Any counterindications? You know, the only thing we could think of so far, and we're hoping to learn more as more skin professionals and estheticians all use it. The only thing we could think of is people that may be using things that, that are very harsh peeling, uh, that, yeah. that peel the skin, right? Like, you know, chemical peels and things like that. I just don't know how it would respond to um, part of your face that has had a harsh chemical yeah. peel, for example. I would wait till that skin recovers a little bit longer to utilize it. But outside of that, in terms of daily routine, what you would use on a daily basis, there isn't anything that we can think of that would be contraindicated. Yeah, I know sensitivity, obviously, to the sun and things like that. Right. Pregnant women, nursing women? Uh, women. Oh yeah, very important because, you know, if you're pregnant and you might know one of those people, it's very important <laughs> that when, <laughs> when they give birth to do the whole skin to skin contact, right? Yes. That's, a, that's a critical part of exchanging microbes and inoculating the baby with the right microbes, which means that mom and dad should have healthy skin microbiome by the time the baby comes out. Yeah. And with hormones and all that in, in pregnancy, the skin microbiome can change. And women can can see some adverse changes on their skin. So it's a good time to use it to rebalance that microbiome because once the baby comes out, you want to put them on your naked skin and get make sure that baby has the right microbes on him or her. For sure. A real usage question. So the sieve uh, serum, is it water-based or oil-based? Or it's oil-based. 
oil-based. Yeah. So we basically would want to use it, uh, obviously cleansing. If we use toner or anything like that, we want to use that. And then if we use any type of serum that's water-based, we probably want to use that first and yeah. then use our uh, sieve uh, serum before we use a moisturizer, before we use whatever comes after. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So the, the typical use is at night. Uh, we say, especially given the face, we say use it in a one time. You basically put one drop on each side of the face, and then that's usually enough to rub it in on the entire face. If you're using it on areas like your neck or your forehead or your scalp, some people use it for alopecia areata, and mm -hmm. uh, we've seen some good case study success on that. So you can put a drop or two on your scalp and rub it in. So we say use it towards the end of your skincare routine, like either right before your moisturizer and use it at night once you've washed your face and cleaned it. Fantastic. Yeah, well, what we like to do, you know, for example, I'm very lazy. I'm not going to use more than like four steps. And yeah. that includes washing the face, obviously. And what I like to do is take you know, know that my Procaris analytic serum is fat ba is oil based and, you know, sieve is oil based. I'm going to mix them together. Is that totally. something that, that we can do even with a moisturizer maybe, but totally. Yes. The way I use it, I, I actually, because I, I tend to use it all over my body too, because <laughs> you know, I, I like to bathe myself in spores. Uh -huh. So I will actually use a, um, a drop on, on my face, but then when I'm using my moisturizer, I actually put a couple drops in my palm of the sieve then add the lotion on it and mix it together and then put it all over, right? Um, because I found, because I travel a lot and I'm in many different bathrooms and beds and all that stuff, right? There are times when you start getting little red bumps in different parts of your body because you picked up new staph aureus or something like that, right? Yeah. And so when I use the, the sieve with my moisturizer in these areas, it completely eliminates these tiny little lesions that are starting to pop up. And I actually just had that about a week ago. I was uh, in, in Vegas and when your skin dries out as much as it does in Vegas and you're exposed to stuff, you're going to pick up some microbe that's going to start causing like a little pimple or lesion on your body. And I started putting the sieve on it with my lotion and it's completely gone. In, and like, we know that days. people in hotels in Vegas are, you know, not only, they, they, don't, they don't only pray. They don't only, <laughs> you know, uh, sing, uh, sing to the Lord. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, for sure. So last question, have we have you seen any results as far as other, you know, you, you did mention uh, acne and I can vouch that we have spoke to people and, and have seen uh, great results when people use it for acne. Uh, is there any um, anecdotal or, you know, more than that evidence to things like rosacea? You did mention, obviously, you know, skin autoimmune responses. So is there any things that you can say about that? Yeah, so we uh, we actually have a, a good number of before and after pics and and, uh, and and case studies on four other things. One is or three other things really: eczema, mm -hmm. um, psoriasis, and then that alopecia areata that mm -hmm. I mentioned as well. Those three for sure. And then a, a fourth uh, thing that a lot of people report, we just don't have a captured evidence of it, is changes to the uh, texture and topography of the skin. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, smoothing out of the skin uh, is something. And there are cameras that we know because we've, we've done it in a derm study previously that can capture topographic yeah. changes to the skin. We just haven't done that yet. Shout, shout out uh, to Vizia. Yes, exactly. So uh, we have a esthetician, uh, a medical uh, spa esthetician that uh, owns a spa in Miami, actually. I think it's called Royal Care uh, Aesthetics. We just started working with her from this past weekend, and she has one of those Vizia, 
uh, machine and she bought a number of the sieve uh, uh, tubes. And what she's going to do is start taking all the before and after images using it. Great. So we're already starting that that small case trial at her place, and then we'll we'll you know we'll add to that kind of data. And then once once we do our leaky skin, we'll start to uh, do other dermatological studies. We know a lot of derms that uh, can do a lot of topographical studies on the skin. Which Fantastic. Is super interesting. Anyone can, that can go and do a Vizia scan, I highly recommend. They they are incredible because they can obviously this is their own their own metrics that they use, but they can basically extrapolate. Uh, skin biological age or fun- what we call functional age. So totally. great thing to do and kind of to follow up on how well products work for you. So uh, obviously we, we've we seen some great results with that. Anyway, uh, this is the bell telling us that we've been, that we've been talking to. <laughs> oh, you can hear that? You know what it is? It's uh, the, tr- the trick-or-treaters are coming. Oh. Uh, it's Halloween and my neighborhood is massive with trick-or-treaters they know yeah, they know where to ask for candy that's oh my time. god because i'd rather give the candy than have all of it here uh-huh. so we had to buy this year in order to not run out because we ran out last year we had to buy over two thousand candy bars wow uh, two thousand right i had no idea when we moved into this neighborhood just two years ago that halloween was so big here so we're loaded for the next probably six hours. The doorbell is going to be ringing, uh, despite the snow and the cold and all that. They wow. don't care. They're coming. So I got to jump in my banana costume. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what am I going to be for Halloween? I like bananas. So I'm just a banana this year. And uh, start giving people a little bit of uh, uh, cavities. And Very cool. Yeah. And then, you know, you're creating your own customer. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. Kiran, listen, you obviously are a wealth of knowledge. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you very soon in person. Uh, all, always an amazing time. And um we will obviously have everything in the show notes, but I would recommend just personally, you know, I believe that we are the, you know, the the sum of the knowledge we consume and we can extrapolate on that, but we're the sum of knowledge we consume. I like to expose myself to as much of as Kiran talks as I can. So I recommend obviously following Kiran, following Siv. Uh, is it just, what's the handle for Siv on, on Instagram? Well, I we're going to have a... I think it's at civcare.com so, uh, or not .com. It's yeah. On Instagram, it's at civcare, but let me just make sure. We're uh, going to for sure have care. it. Yep. Okay. Civcare. S-I-V-C-A-R-E. For sure. going to have it in the show notes, civcare. Uh, that's a great, great Instagram. Follow Kiran as well. What's your handle, Kiran? <laughs> uh, Kiran Biome. So K-I-R-A-N-B-I-O-M-E. Fantastic. Great. And um, I wish you a wonderful Halloween that, that's uh, knocking on your door quite literally. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much, Hirant. was fantastic. Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure. I, uh, I always enjoy any time we get to chat and, and uh, spend together. And, and I love it that thousands of people can hear our conversation now. So I really appreciate you having me on. I look forward to seeing you. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Okay. All right, and that brings us to the close of yet another insightful episode of the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. A huge thank you to Kieran Krishnan for joining us today and sharing his in-depth knowledge on skin microbiome and introducing us to the innovative sieve, uh, the Biome Balancing Serum. It's conversations really like this that not only enlighten us, but also empower us 
to make informed decisions about our health and beauty routines. And I think I really enjoyed it. I hope you all did. Before we wrap up, let's address some of the questions from our listeners. Remember, if you'd like your question question answered in one of our episodes, please leave a review or a question on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, wherever you're watching this, listening to this, and we might just pick your question in the next show. So first question is a person is asking, I've uh, listened to you in the Ben Greenfield podcast, loved the podcast. I do want to know how do I build a routine that is suitable for my skin? So this is a fantastic question and I'm going to tell you a few ways that you can do that. Obviously, Ben in the podcast went over the products that he uses and the order in which he uses them. But I think what the most important thing I can recommend is, is going to our uh, younggoose.com website and looking for the quiz that's in the main menu. And that quiz will ask you a few simple questions. I promise it's very short and it's going to recommend one of our systems. And obviously we have minimal, which is a system that you can plug and play with any other skincare routine you have. We have standard, which is also a plug and play. You can just, you know, add your own cleanser or whatever else you're using. And that would be like a complete system. And obviously we have the advanced systems. The advanced systems really are A to Z, everything that you would need for a really full and comprehensive skincare routine. So check that out. You can obviously reach out to us with questions. We have in in kind of chat that you can chat with us on online. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be the one answering the questions there, even though I would love to, but the people there are very educated and will be able to answer all your questions. And of course, you can write to us by email. Another thing that I would recommend is basically going to these advanced systems. And these advanced systems actually have a, a tab in the product page of those systems on how to use all the products. And you'll see there anything from you know, start by cleansing, obviously down to the evening where you're going to use your moisturizer and your hyperbaric mask or in the morning, your moisturizer and the BioShield SPF 40. So you can understand there, even if you have only one or two of our products, you can understand where they fit in a full routine. So that's another way to do it. If you're shy, if you don't want to communicate with us directly, that's completely, completely fine. I know I'm like that sometimes. So that's as far as that. Another question, again, someone's saying that they saw us at Ben Greenfield and they're asking if I only chose one product by Angus to use, which one would it be? And normally the, the when people ask me that in person, which actually happens pretty often, I give a two-pronged answer. So the first answer is maybe you're someone who actually only wants to use one product. And that is, I think you'll understand why, why that is a very specific question. I don't want to use more than one product. What is the kind of kitchen sink approach what is the swiss army knife of a skincare routine and that is going to be care nad boosting moisturizer and the reason is because it's really meant to cover all bases is it going to give you dramatic results maybe that's really subjective but it is definitely going to increase the function or decrease the functional age of the skin which means the skin is more resilient is dealing with damage better if there is damage that it does need to repair it's going to repair it the the best way possible and is going to make sure that your skin ages more slowly which is so i call it like a more of a longevity approach another you know type of person that would ask this question is a person that actually has products that they like already 
and they just want to introduce one of the Yangu skincare products into their routine. And that is a little bit of a different discussion because maybe they have a moisturizer that they like already or a serum or anything like that. And that, in that case, I, I actually highly recommend the hyperbaric mask anyway. But in that case, that's going to be the product I recommend. And the reason is, is because it really, there really doesn't exist another product that replaces it, right? The fact that we call it a mask is redundant. It's not really a mask. It's just a gel that you apply over a moisturizer and leave overnight. So again, that's not a product that's going to replace anything. It's going to push away anything that you're already using in your routine but it's going to improve anything else that you're using and going to give you results on its own so the hyperbaric mask is going to be a great addition to an already complete skincare routine even though they're not young goose skincare routines so these are my two recommendations and the third uh, question we'll take another question that was asked uh, uh, after people were watching the ben greenfield podcast is actually about having your head in the sauna or an infrared sauna should i have my head in or out if that's an option for me and uh they were actually asking what i do specifically so i actually leave my head out because i have a therasage infrared sauna and that you know that does not include the head it's like a little tent that you're in and what i would say is that obviously infrared sauna has incredible benefits but one of the things that are a byproduct of that is oxidative stress that is actually called the triangle of reactive oxygen species or ROS. And obviously we're getting amazing benefits, it's worth it. But if we do go into an infrared sauna, which also covers our head, we do wanna use either internally or externally a ROS reactive oxygen species scavenger, such as our green tea phyto serum. You can also, you know, drink throughout your day a green tea, green tea and kind of saturate your system with with EGCG, which is the Ross scavenger in green tea. So either topically or eternally in order to offset that. I recommend it anyway, in any case, when you're going into a sauna. But uh, your questions are a vital part of our community and it's always a pleasure to engage with your thoughts and questions. So please keep them coming. Uh, We honestly, we, we love getting them. Finally, if you haven't already, please take a moment to leave a rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening to this podcast. Your support helps us grow and reach more listeners eager to learn about the transformative world of biohacking and beauty. So please uh, join us again next time where we'll we'll continue to explore the fascinating intersection of cutting-edge science, health, and beauty. Until then, keep up the good work and goodbye for now.